Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. My guest today is Dr. Robert Bartholomew, who has a PhD in medical sociology and is an honorary senior lecturer at the Department of Psychological Medicine at the University of Auckland in New Zealand. He is an expert in mass psychogenic illness and is the co-author with Robert Bailo of the book Havana Syndrome, Mass Psychogenic Illness and the Real Story Behind the Embassy, Mystery and Hysteria. Her, Robert, thank you very much for, for agreeing to be here and welcome. Well, thank you. Uh, so let's, uh, let's get straight into it. Like Havana Syndrome, uh, what, for those people who don't know, what is Havana Syndrome and how did you come across it? In late 2016, some CIA officers stationed in Havana, Cuba, began to hear unusual noises outside their homes at night. And then one of them fell sick and attributed the sound to their symptoms, which are pretty mundane, headache, ear pain, things like that. And a folk theory developed that they had been harassed by some type of acoustical weapon that was used by the Cubans in conjunction with possibly the Russians or the Chinese. In August of 2017, the State Department announced publicly that these so-called attacks were under investigation. Since then, there have been hundreds of attacks, not only in Cuba, but around the world. I mean, in a nutshell, that's the, that's the story that's being reported in the media, uh, although it's not true. Okay. So uh, you, 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 you mentioned some of the symptoms there, things like, uh, like headaches and uh, hearing noises and ear pain. And uh, you know, when I looked at this list of symptoms, I thought to myself, uh, the first time I saw it, I actually have all of these symptoms right now. Like I, I personally have tinnitus. I can hear a ringing in my ears. Uh, not, not, not a great one, but a little one. I have uh, aches and pains. Uh, I have uh, somewhat more forgetfulness than I had when I was younger. And um, you know, other things are happening to me, like my hair is falling out. So what was it about this list of symptoms that led people to suspect that it might be some kind of, um, you know, some kind of attack? The big issue with what happened is uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association. They published two articles, uh, one in 2018, one in 2019, that um, suggested that there was something nefarious going on, there was possibly brain damage. More recently, in December of 2020, the National Academy of Sciences had a panel of scientists that looked into this and concluded that the most plausible explanation was pulsed microwave radiation, a deliberate attack by some nefarious foreign power. And that's mm. really driven the media reports. My first career was as a radio journalist in upstate New York in the late 1970s. And I can see how this developed. You know, you're a journalist, you you're not an expert. You have to rely on experts. You see things like, oh, Journal of the American Medical Association. It must be true. I can tell you right now, I'll resign my position as an honorary senior lecturer in the Department of Psychological Medicine at Auckland University if anybody can demonstrate to me that the diplomats and intelligence officers in Cuba suffered brain damage or that there was hearing loss or major white matter tract changes in people's brains. This is science fiction. Yeah, that's a pretty strong statement. Uh, so you, you would characterize what we're seeing here as a, a mass psychogenic illness. 
Uh, could you explain a little bit about what a mass psychogenic illness actually is? Sure. And look, if I had $100 to bet, I would bet every single penny uh, on the mass psychogenic illness horse because right. uh, it's going to come in. Um, mass psychogenic illness, think of it as the placebo effect in reverse. We've all heard of the placebo effect. If I give you a sugar pill, tell you you're going to feel better, often you will. It's not going to cure cancer or diabetes, but uh, a lot of um, ailments are stress-related, and it really works well with things like that. Um, but it also works in the reverse, which is known as the nocebo effect, where if I give you a sugar pill and tell you it's rat poison and you believe mm -hmm. it, then you're likely to elicit symptoms. You might even vomit, but there's nothing physically wrong with you. It's also known as, historically, been known as conversion disorder. Okay. The conversion of psychological stress into physical symptoms that don't have an organic basis. So, like, conversion disorder... You know, that's something that happens to an individual, but we're talking about mass psychogenic um, uh, illness, which kind of implies you know, a group of people. What's the difference between conversion disorder um, and things like um, psychosomatic symptoms, somatic, somatoform di disorder, uh, things like that, which apply to an individual and something that applies to a group? Well, it can and does spread in groups. Uh, a classic example is Salem in 1692. Mm. You had conversion disorder involving twitching, shaking, altered states of consciousness. Um, there's two main types of mass psychogenic illness. You've got the short-term type with no pre-existing tension, where somebody, a group, is exposed to some agent, usually an unknown smell, unfamiliar odor, and it's believed to be toxic, and you get... Um, people fainting, having difficulty breathing. It happens very quickly, and it usually lasts for a few hours, no more than a day. People are rushed to the hospital, they recover yeah. very quickly, and they eventually identify the stimulus, and it wasn't uh, harmful. What you've got going on in Cuba is very different. That is the neurological type of mass psychogenic illness that is exactly what happened in Salem. Um, and it's a group that's under long-term prolonged stress. And in situations like that, you tend to get neurological symptoms, which is exactly what happened in Cuba. And if you're familiar with the news back in 2011, 2012 in Leroy in Western New York, that's exactly what they had as well. These uh, young girls, mostly at that school right. who had um, neurological symptoms, difficulty walking, um, difficulty talking. And that was diagnosed as mass psychogenic illness. There was an uproar. The New York State Department of Health said, yes, it's mass psychogenic illness. And after a few months, it died down and a consensus emerged that it was mass psychogenic illness. And the same thing will happen here once uh, this comes out. And I think it will come out. The wheels of science turn slowly but they turn. Yes, yes. Uh, no, I, 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 you know, I find myself agreeing with you uh, uh, on this this matter. You know, and you, as you 
you might remember, like uh, when it first started coming out, I wrote a, a small piece about it on 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 MetaBank, and you you commented on it uh, at the time. It was uh, several years ago, but uh, part of the reason I, I I wrote that was that you know, I recognized not only that I myself had this list of symptoms, but it also reminded me of another thing called uh, Morgellons or, or Morgellons. I'm not sure how you. There's two ways of pronouncing it, and each way seems equally valid. But uh, that's 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 something. It's related. But would you characterize that as a, a the same type of thing, or is that a different type of thing? What's your experience being with Morgellons? Uh, I wrote a book chapter on Morgellons. I think it's a combination of four different things. Um, not necessarily just mass psychogenic illness. There are a variety of conditions that are lumped under that heading. But what's interesting about Morgellons is that people for the first time with a variety of symptoms came together on the internet. And the real vector of spread for Morgellons was the internet and then later social media. You uh, mentioned that um, you were writing about Havana syndrome on Metabunk. I would define or characterize Havana syndrome as at this point, Megabunk because it's gone global. It's just gone. It's insanity. What's happened recently, you know, it's just everywhere now. Yeah. But it's almost in a way, I think that makes it almost seem more believable because it becomes too big uh, to not be true. You've got so many people involved in it. You've got so many different uh, medical professionals and you've got politicians, not that politicians are experts on this, but you've got people weighing in uh, on it with uh, who are in positions of power. Uh, how do we how did we get to this stage? You know, is there anything that's that's comparable uh, historically to to this situation? What, what this there's so much misinformation out there. People saying, "Oh, what about the brain damage? That's not mass hysteria." What about the white matter tract changes? What about the hearing loss? That never happened. It's absolutely not true. I have staked my career on it. It's just demonstrably not true. And look, what this reminds me of as someone who has studied the supernatural and paranormal and the history of skepticism, it parallels UFO and monster sighting waves. You know, Mm. these symptoms are so vague, as you had mentioned, and common as to be experienced by everyone at some point who's ever lived and probably in any given week. And so what's happened here is People are redefining a variety of aches and pains under a new label globally, right? Because they've been told to be on the lookout for anomalous health incidents, whatever that means. And so it's reminiscent of the setup for many UFO and monster sighting flaps because you typically get this initial sensational report where residents begin to scrutinize their environment for evidence of the perceived anomaly. And given, as we know, the the fallibility of human perception and memory reconstruction, you know, people start to see what they expect to see. So a rustling in the bushes becomes a Bigfoot. The wake of a boat is mistaken for the Loch Ness Monster. And Mm -hmm. Venus is, is taken for a UFO. And look, ordinarily, people don't pay close attention to their surroundings. But during these flaps... People, particularly in localized areas, they start to scrutinize their environment. And you'll get dozens of sightings popping up in a short period of time because they start to notice things 
they ordinarily don't notice. They start yeah. to stare at the woods. They start to stare at the sky or stare at the lake. And a classic example of this, uh, which is standard reading for introductory sociology students, is the Seattle windshield pitting epidemic of 1954, when rumors spread that the West Coast region of the United States was being subjected to atomic fallout from the hmm. testing that was going on in the Pacific. And so people were looking around to find evidence of the fallout and people started reporting they could see these pit marks on their windscreens, their windshields. And it got to the point where the governor of Washington state telephoned President Dwight Eisenhower and asked him for help. And when scientists investigated and looked closer at these windshield pits, they found that pit marks are there all the time. They're a common feature of windshields. But instead of looking through their windshields and windscreens, residents for the first time began looking at them and right. noticing these marks that have been there all along. Yeah, and I think that that's that certainly resonates with with my experience with Morgellons. Yeah, uh, studying Morgellons is uh, that people there they feel ill for some reason, and they're told that their their symptoms might be being caused by these fibers that are you know burrowing through their skin, and so they get their little magnifying glass out, and then they they study their skin very closely, and they find these little fibers on them because these, these little fibers are everywhere. And it's just that it's really just that they've never looked before. Uh, and I think this, this happens when, with a lot of things, like you said, with, with UFOs, but it's interesting in the context of, of health uh, because it's, it's not like they're looking and finding something on them. They're looking and they're finding symptoms like, like ringing in the ears. You know, I, I hardly ever think about the ringing in the ears, and you know, I probably wouldn't unless someone someone mentioned it, or I you know I happened to you know be reading about ringing in the ears, and I I think again you know uh, I have ringing in the ears, uh, aches and pains and things like that. Uh, people haven't really looked at their their bodies and what they're feeling with the same kind of attention. Uh, and then you know, these doctors come along and ask them to 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 do that, and they're naturally going to find things. Yeah, look, it can't be microwaves because if you're hearing it and recording it, mm -hmm. it's not the so-called Frey effect, which disrupts the nervous system through microwave, which was what the National Academy of Sciences report uh, concluded. It was most plausibly that. They, they were wrong. The people on that panel were not experts on microwaves. They got it wrong. The fray effect is not a sound. It's microwaves hitting your body and stimulating nerves that are either in the ear or the brain, and you get a perception of sound, right. a very barely discernible clicking sound, what you would hmm. perceive as a clicking sound. But there's no actual sound. So if you've recorded it, that's not the fray effect. And that's how the National Academy of Sciences reports just flat out wrong. And many of these attacks were recorded. And when they were analyzed by a scientific panel uh, commissioned in um, 2017, 2018, the so-called Jason panel of expert scientists, yeah. they found that they were the mating calls of insects, most notably crickets. 
So you can eliminate microwaves and you can eliminate an acoustical weapon as well. And everybody always asks me, they say, oh, but there's some secret microwave weapon out sure. there, a cool weapon. Well, based on the research that's out there, acoustical and microwave weapons don't work very well. If they did, I think we would have used them recently in Afghanistan and they, they would defy the laws of physics in terms of what's being reported in Cuba. You've got no incidents being recorded at the embassy itself. They were at one of two large hotels, mostly, and then at people's homes and in this one apartment complex. Well, to target someone inside a large hotel, it would defy the laws of physics to be able to do that without other people being aware of it for starters. And you would literally heat their brains. And now yeah. that's according to Kenneth Foster, who's the man who in the early 1970s first identified the mechanism in the Frey effect. He says, and I was in contact with him recently, it's definitely not the Frey effect. It can't be. And why the panel didn't interview him, but they interviewed some other scientists who have some pretty unconventional views as well, is beyond me. Um, I think there were some politics involved there because a friend right. of mine who I've written four articles with and peer-reviewed medical journals, Simon Wesley at King's College London, he was one of the scientists on the panel. And he's an expert on mass psychogenic illness. And I'm like, yes, there's an expert on mass psychogenic illness on the National Academy of Sciences panel. He came out before the study was published. And he gave an interview in which he said, oh, based on what I've seen, I think the most likely explanation is mass psychogenic illness. Well, shortly thereafter, he was contacted and kicked off the panel. Wow. Um, to me, that's politics driving it just like recently, I mean, very recently, the head of the Biden panel looking into Havana syndrome, Ambassador Spratlin. She did a Zoom interview with a number of Havana syndrome patients. And at the time, the FBI report contents had just been leaked in which they concluded, as we have, that it's mass psychogenic illness. And one of the patients said, oh, what do you think about that report that said it's mass psychogenic illness? Do you believe in that? And she's like, well, I'm keeping an open mind. I'm not ruling out possibility of mass psychogenic illness within days she was forced to resign. There was an yeah. uproar that she was considering the possibility of mass psychogenic illness because they're not crazy and yeah. um, they don't have a mental illness. But mass psychogenic illness is a collective stress response. No one's saying you're crazy. No one's saying you're mentally disturbed. But the fact that the Biden investigation is forcing her to resign shows me that it's being driven more by politics than by science. And that's not a good thing. So by politics, uh, is there someone who benefits from this? Or is it just simply about uh, being nice to people and not being perceived as calling people crazy? I feel like there's this kind of um, great deference given to, to the victims because you know, in some ways they're serving the country and they've been injured in the line of duty. And uh, if we are to, to kind of question their belief about what's wrong with them, it's seen as a, a grave insult. 
against them? Uh, do you think it's just simply the politicians being afraid of being uh, being characterized in that way? Well, the same thing with Gulf War syndrome, right? There's a lot of evidence that Gulf War syndrome, under that broad category, that uh, a lot of that involves psychogenic ailments. And that's pretty mainstream science right now. Uh, there's a lot of major figures that in, in psychiatry and psychological medicine that would hold that view. But I think there's something deeper here. And that is, look, the FBI report concluded that it was mass psychogenic illness. And they looked at the same evidence we did and everybody else looked at. But that report wasn't leaked until recently. And you don't see people from the FBI coming out and defending that. And I'll tell you why. Because they're afraid. They're afraid to utter the H word because they know what happens. They saw what happened to Ambassador Spratlin when she mentioned uh, that she was holding out the possibility it was mass psychogenic illness. She was gone. There was an outcry. These people were furious. And I think what's happened here is in both the Trump administration and the Biden administration, you've got lifelong bureaucrats who are involved in this, who mistook the mating calls of crickets and cicadas for a sonic attack that sparked an investigation that's wasted five years, tens of millions of dollars, and a lot of time and resources when we can use this better for global warming and a global pandemic. And this is greatly embarrassing to the United States government. You know, one of the most powerful countries in the world misperceived the sounds of crickets and cicadas as a sonic attack. And then that was discredited, a microwave attack. And now you're hearing people just saying an energy attack. And uh, as each one of these things get discredited. And uh, I just think it's greatly embarrassing because they botched this whole thing. Yeah. And I think uh, part of the problem that you know we're getting this this huge amount of contention is that it's a fairly complicated subject and you do get these kind of competing scientists you get these these long reports from various people uh to which to some degree are politically biased but also simply you know biased by the the perceptions of the people writing it you know i think you you mentioned uh, in the book or one of your articles that you know at first they were saying they had this traumatic brain injury but then another group of scientists studied and they said they had some kind of inner ear damage uh, because they were people who studied that type of thing. And uh, you know, it, it was almost like, you know, whatever your specialty is, you, you find the, that as being the cause for it. I'll tell you an interesting story. When the first patient study was being conducted and they submitted it to the Journal of the American Medical Association, the editors at the Journal of the American Medical Association contacted Professor Robert Ballo, who I wrote the book Havana Syndrome with, and they asked him to review the study because he is an eminent neurologist. He created some of the tests that were actually being used in the study. And he read the study and he rejected it. And they published it anyway. And he just couldn't believe it. And he told me recently, and he said, you know, he's what, I think he's 79 years of age now. He's had a long and storied career, has a standard textbook on the inner ear. He said to me, he goes, you know, Robert, he said, over my career, I probably reviewed a thousand articles in peer-reviewed medical journals and 999 of them, when I review it, they always show me the other reviews. That only did not happen one time. Oh, wow. 
Can you guess which time that didn't happen? And that was the JAMA study. They didn't show them the other reviews, assuming there even were other reviews. And that's really odd. And then you have the National Academy of Sciences panel and then kicking Simon Wesley, who is Sir Simon Wesley, an eminent expert in psychological medicine, kicking him off the panel. You start to get a a pattern here that there's some kind of politics that's being mixed in with this. So how do you think it's going to get resolved? Uh, You've got this this group of people pushing a certain narrative, but like you say, the the wheels of science uh, are turning. Uh, what's actually going to happen in the future that will kind of like chew it up and actually spit it out for the world to see? People keep saying to me, oh, they're never going to figure this out. They'll figure it out. Right. As I said, the wheels of science turn slowly, but they turn. And it's, it's turning as we speak right now. It's turning with this program. People are starting to realize that uh, these JAMA studies were flawed. And I mean journalists as well, that the National Academy of Sciences panel was flawed. I think this is going to collapse in the relatively near future on its own dead weight. I've looked at the history of mass psychogenic illness and social panics. I've collected over 3,500 cases of mass psychogenic illness alone going back to the Middle Ages. And with outbreaks, particularly when they involve a social panic, an exaggerated fear and threat, you typically get these stages, the initial stage, the the peak stage, I think we're past that now. Now we're in the decline stage. And toward the end of the decline stage, you start to get a series of major reports that are highly skeptical, similar to what we're doing right now with this podcast. You always can find a rogue scientist out there who believes in Bigfoot or chupacabras or that people are being abducted by space aliens. And some scientists, you know, you'll ask them their opinion and they'll speculate. I'm telling you right now, I'm not speculating. I know that the two JAMA studies were very poorly done and should never have been published. I mean, they have so many flaws. They look like Swiss cheese. Uh, But journalists see JAMA and they go gaga. And then, unfortunately, the National Academy of Sciences panel, people see that and they think it must be true. But I'll tell you a story about the National Academy of Sciences panel. Eight months before the panel findings came out, we came out with our book. And in the panel findings, they said, you know, one of the major plausible explanations is mass psychogenic illness. But unfortunately, we can't assess that possibility because there is no epidemiological data. They said that in their study, like zero epidemiological uh, data that they can look at on the early spread. Here is a study that's only 70 some odd pages long, the main text, that cites my research as an expert on mass psychogenic illness 11 times. They're familiar with my literature and the literature in general, yet they chose, and there's, I can't imagine they didn't see it, they chose not to cite our book that was published eight months earlier that clearly outlined the early epidemiological spread of the symptoms. How that happened is a good question for the members of that panel. And I don't know how they would answer that, but it's really curious and really odd that they didn't cite our book, but they cited all those other studies. And our book was the document 
that had the early epidemiological information on the spread. And look, what, what they have to do in a case like this is you just have to follow the breadcrumbs, look at the facts, and what is it Carl Sagan said about people getting carried away? Wherever we have strong motions, we're liable to fool ourselves. To figure out this case, you've got to go back to the beginning. You've got to look at the historical yeah. context because all cases of mass psychogenic illness are couched in a social context, as are all cases of social panics. You've got to go back to that first report of patient zero. It all started in this small unit of CIA officers in Havana in late 2016. And for weeks, they had been hearing these mysterious sounds outside their homes at night and commenting like that's really unusual. It almost seems like there's a beam of sound that's being pointed at our homes. And then one day, one of them wasn't feeling well and had a headache and ear pain. And they went to the embassy clinic and he made a comment. He said, you know, it's almost like someone's pointing a beam of light or a beam of sound at my house. And a theory emerged that they were being harassed, the CIA agents, by some new kind of sonic weapon. And that quickly spread like wildfire through the American embassy. Now, some of the researchers in these studies have said, oh, uh, some of the patients that we talked to said that other people at the embassy didn't know about this until later. That is absolutely categorically not true. I've talked to and interviewed people at the embassy and they said everybody knew it spread like wildfire. It was the worst kept secret. And it later spread to the Canadian embassy because the American embassy shared their information with the Canadian embassy. We know that for a fact, there's documents out there on that. And um, so the early theory was they were harassing the diplomats with a sonic weapon. And you might think to yourself, that's really weird. That's really odd that people would think that. But you have to put yourself in their situation. The idea that they were being harassed made sense to them because there's a long history of Cuban agents harassing American diplomats going back decades. All of the diplomats who were sent to the new embassy in Havana in 2015 had been briefed about it, that during the Cold War, Cuban agents were notorious for harassing Americans. They would sneak into their homes at night when they slept and open up all the windows and they'd wake up in the morning and there'd be mosquitoes yeah. everywhere. They would get up in the morning, go downstairs and look on their kitchen table and there'd be cigarette butts and they yeah. don't smoke there'd be dog poo on your kitchen floor and you don't have a dog. Your books and your bookshelf would be rearranged. You drive somewhere, park, and then when you go back to get into your car, someone would have parked their car within a few centimeters of your car and you can't back out. And so this would go on. And that's why the early assumption by the State Department was that they were most likely targeted by some kind of uh, you know, harassing weapon. But what's right. the old saying? There, the, there's an old saying for skeptics. When you hear the sound of hoofbeats in the night, first think horses 
not zebras. These people were looking for unicorns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's interesting because they, in a way, they didn't know about the horses in the, the analogy because uh, they were used to the zebras, which are the kind of harassing people, you know, sneaking into their, their, their rooms at night. And so perhaps from their situation, uh, like, like you were describing, they were kind of primed to look for something like a zebra, uh, something that was actually harassing them rather than just real symptoms. The first guy, you know, the patient zero, you know, he, you, you described him as like he has a headache or whatever, and he goes and talks to the doctor and describes what was happening. For him, that was like some real symptom. I mean, that wasn't, you know, a, a, a psychosomatic uh, uh, event of some sort. That was something that was actually wrong with him. And that's something I think that happens, obviously, with a lot of the people is that the symptoms they feel are, are, are real. Like if someone has tinnitus, uh, it doesn't mean they're imagining it. You know, they, these are actually real physical things that are wrong with people. And that's, I think, a big part of the problem that where we get this contested causation because people get very angry where they you think you're saying it's all in your head when really it isn't because the symptoms are real symptoms. That's exactly right. That's very perceptive. And certainly some of what's happened in Cuba is a redefining of everyday aches and pains or some ailment you're going to get in anyway. And that's what's going on globally. You know, you got what happened in Cuba, which is primarily mass psychogenic illness involving neurological symptoms. And then what you've got going on globally, in 2018, you had the incident in uh, China at uh, various diplomatic missions and embassies of the United States where people were claiming they had some unusual symptoms. And then afterwards, the State Department issued this global alert to their embassy staff and intelligence officers around the world to be on the lookout for anomalous health incidents. And they list the symptoms in Havana syndrome, which is a laundry list of symptoms that are very common. And um, they also said, if you hear an unusual sound or feel heat, um, that could be part of it as well. So what you've got here now is a global experiment in mass suggestion. And there's an old saying, speak of the devil and he's bound to appear. Now, any diplomat or intelligence officer anywhere in the world who has an unusual health incident, and I'm sure there's millions and millions of people around the world who every day have unusual health incidents, they're immediately thinking Havana syndrome. And now more recently, you've got the Department of Defense sending letters to 2.9 million service personnel who served in the United States and contractors to please report any anomalous health incidents to them. And look, I smell potential compensation here too, right? Like not only are people going to be redefining a variety of mundane symptoms or even non-mundane symptoms as Havana syndrome related, there's also a possibility that you could get some potential legal compensation here. So this is a recipe for I predict tens of thousands of cases are going to be reported over the next few months to the State Department of people all over the world, American service personnel claiming that they were victims of Havana syndrome. Yeah, and yeah, I think um, yeah, I'm getting old here, and as, as you get older, you start having unusual health events. And if it's the first time 
that has ever happened to you, it can seem like a very strange thing, like uh, ocular migraines, which are extremely strange the first time they happen. And you could very easily imagine that your brain is being zapped by some uh, microwave weapon because you see this weird crawling uh, in your in your vision that you can't see around and it's, it, it doesn't go away. And then you start to get these headaches. Um, but there will be people because everyone's getting older who are going to start having these, these weird sensations. Like I had you know, this phantom cell phone sensations. Like you think you, your phone is buzzing in your, your, your pant pocket, but it's not. Uh, people will start attributing that to the, these things. So I think you're right. If it maintains this kind of aura of respectability, that this is a real thing, then we're going to get a lot of cases. Yeah, you know, for all my life, maybe twice a year, I, and I grew up on a farm in upstate New York, I'd be sitting there and all of a sudden I'd hear this like high pitched sound and my hearing would just disappear for a few seconds. And then maybe after 15 or 20 seconds, it would be over. And I often wondered what that was. And then as I was writing the book, I mentioned it to uh, Professor Balo at UCLA. And he goes, oh, he goes, that's transient tinnitus, because that's very common. And uh, since then, I've asked my students, oh, has anybody ever had a sensation like that? In more than half the hands, usually about two thirds mm. of the hands are raised. And there's quite a few students who say they get it two or three times a month. Um, it's just very common, but you know, you kind of forget about it. And then it happens again. And if somebody had told me, oh, you uh, could be the subject of a sonic or microwave attack, and then that happens, then you can easily redefine that. Just like people go outside all the time. They look up at the sky, they see Venus, they look at the woods, they see trees, and they don't ordinarily think UFO or Bigfoot, but if there's a flap going on and people are claiming to see it in your area, you can easily start then staring at Venus when you ordinarily don't, and it can appear to move with the autokinetic effect. You know, as we know, human perception is very fallible and subject to error. Human beings often see things that aren't there, hear things that aren't there, experience things that, that didn't happen. Yeah, and if you haven't experienced it, uh, it's it's very, very strange. There was actually a, you know, I was going to mention this earlier in the context of the media, uh, kind of, I think there's a little bit of a sea change in the media. There was an article today by Philip Bump in the Washington Post, and he was basically making the case for the skeptical uh, point of view, you know, basically putting your, your argument uh, forward. And the Washington Post previous, I think all of their articles have been very much, you know, on the train of Havana syndrome is, is, is some kind of energy weapon type thing. But Philip Bump, uh, he starts out describing how when he was younger, he had a panic attack. And when it first happened to him, he didn't know what was happening. He just, he just felt like he was dying and he couldn't breathe and he was, his heart was racing. And he was saying you know, essentially the same thing, that this uh, is something that you, you could very easily be convinced that this panic attack, if you'd never had it before, was some kind of, of, of actual attack as from, you know, if, if people said this is the symptoms of being hit by a, a beam, then, you know, you would take it as that. Uh, lots of people who have panic attacks, they think it's a heart attack simply because they've never had a panic attack before. And, you know, later they, they start to recognize the symptoms of a panic attack. 
But like I was saying earlier, there's always going to be this some person who has some experience for the first time, and for them it's very novel and very frightening, and that is going to lead to, you know, in combination with the doctors saying, look out for strange symptoms, they are going to get uh, that belief, you know, building up from that. Just think about it. You've had reports now in like 14 or 15 countries. So there's somebody from Russia or China that's got some microwave device and they're taking it down to Colombia and pointing it at some diplomat's family at night while the woman's washing the dishes or taking it to Kyrgyzstan and uh, Poland and all these different countries. It just, and I think, well, some people have said to me, oh, all these cases now, it's just proof that it's true. No, it's right. not. <laughs> it's kind of like somebody claiming to see Bigfoot outside your home. And then there's another sighting like 50 miles away and another one over here, another one over here. Next thing you know, I've already seen Bigfoot. It, um, to me, it's evidence that it's not real. But the other frustrating thing is people keep saying to me, oh, but the government has some kind of secret weapon. Um, they've been working on microwaves and they've been working on acoustical weapons. The literature on these weapons shows they don't work very well um, and they haven't been developed very well. And there's something called the laws of physics. You simply cannot target a specific individual from a distance Mm -hmm. inside a large hotel with a microwave or sonic weapon. I mean, it just doesn't work. Yeah, I think uh, another strike against the theory is it varies a lot by individual. Like some people hear a noise and some people don't hear a noise. If you look at the list of people in, in one of the studies where they, they broke it down by you know, who heard what, uh, some people heard a high-pitched noise, some people heard a, a low-pitched noise. And within those, there were different different versions when they described it as like grinding or scraping or beeping. Some people didn't hear any noise. Uh, and then the, the symptoms that come from that are also very different. And you would expect if it's a syndrome that it would be the same thing. And this is this is the type of thing we, we saw in the past with, with Morgellons disease is that you get this wide variety of, of symptoms. And because people want to kind of get into on it, uh, they want to have this good explanation for what's going on. And so they, they, they try to shoehorn everything into it. So with Morgellons, it ended up, you know, Morgellons started out as this disease where fibers were coming from people's skin. And they ended up with a, a kind of an A-fiber uh, version of Morgellons where you have Morgellons, but you don't have the fibers. Well, but, you know, what was that? It was, it, but they just ended up shoehorning everything in. And that's happened, I think, with, with Havana syndrome is that it becomes very encompassing. It, it, it almost like it, it's just something a bit strange happens and you don't feel well. It doesn't really make any sense in terms of you know, nailing it down for what's going on. This is a classic case of bad science, shoddy journalism, and bad government. For example, some of the interviews that were given by people associated with the JAMA study, one of the researchers was saying, well, it, it can't be mass psychogenic illness because there was no evidence that the patients were colluding. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. They may be licensed neurologists and experts on neurology, but they, that's like going to a geologist and saying there's no such thing as uh, earthquakes or something. I mean, it's so far removed from mainstream science. That's kind yeah. of, you know, they don't know the literature on mass psychogenic illness. There's one researcher Beatrice Golub at the University of San Diego. She was the first one to propose publicly the microwave explanation. 
I asked her at a conference, I said, so what do you think of the mass psychogenic illness explanation? She said, uh, she doesn't believe in mass psychogenic illness. She doesn't believe it's a real thing. And I'm like, wow. but a quarter of all patients who go to neurologists are diagnosed with functional neurological, neurological disorders. They don't have any identifiable organic condition. And, um, you know, that's extreme. It's hard to believe that there are medical professionals out there in the year 2021 who believe that uh, mass psychogenic illness is an imaginary condition. It, it's almost like they're portraying like, like, like you are a fringe scientist and, you know, all this, this previous work that we've had on mass psychogenic illness is some kind of like strange fringe. Uh, is, this, is there kind of like a divide amongst doctors uh, as and medical professionals as to the kind of the general acceptance of the existence of mass psychogenic illness? Look, that is the first time I have ever encountered a medical professional in my life doubting the existence of mass psychogenic illness. I mean, it's just so well documented throughout, throughout history. What about departments of psychological medicine? It's just an extreme, radical, unconventional position for someone to take who is in a, at a major university and holding a position in, in, in medicine. I mean, it's just highly unusual. It would be up there with John Mack, who was at Harvard, the psychiatrist, believing in, that people were being abducted by space aliens, or the anthropologist, um, mm. his last name is Meldrum, is at one of the universities who, who believes in Bigfoot. I mean, that's where I would parallel uh, Golub's uh, position there. I mean, it's certainly very, yeah. very rare that medical professionals would, would hold such a, an unusual, unconventional position. And yeah, that seems to be the position that the the politicians uh, have kind of glommed onto, and uh, they're kind of uh, preferring that and promoting it. Uh, so how how do we how do we well how do you <laughs> how do you move forward with this? How do we actually uh, get past this? I mean, you you talk about you know, the wheels of science doing their natural thing, but is there some uh, approach we should be doing in educating the media? Uh, and, uh, and even medical professionals as to you know, what's actually going on. Well, Professor Balo and myself would be happy to testify before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And honestly, I think that that would be the end of Havana Syndrome. I really do, because we would point out what's been going on here. But I get a sense over the past week that uh, a lot of the media now is starting to turn skeptical. There are some major articles coming out that are much more skeptical because the assumption always is when you say psychogenic illness, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. What about the brain damage? What about the hearing loss? Not true. When you actually take the time to look at those claims, absolutely. I would bet my life that I, I just, I know I've seen the studies. It's not true. It has not been demonstrated. It's not speculation. You've got the situation where now we know because the FBI report has been leaked. They concluded they've got some pretty smart people in the FBI. They saw all the evidence as well, probably more than we even had. And they concluded exactly as we concluded, mass psychogenic illness. And I really believe that you've got a lot of people in the intelligence community right now who are convinced it's mass psychogenic illness too on the weight of evidence. However, no one wants to say anything because no one wants to say the H word and yeah. because it gets you yeah. into trouble and just keep quiet and I'll collect my pension. 
it reminds me in a way of the situation with uh, with UFOs. Uh, you know, that there's there's some people within the Pentagon who do believe in in UFOs as being aliens, essentially. Uh, but I mean, the the majority of people there, you know, recognize that there really isn't very good evidence of that, and it's mostly just uh, normal clutter in the airspace. And yet, these people still manage to persist, and the media s- still runs with it as if it's this this major thing that's going on. Uh, and it's it's almost like people don't want to rock the boat, uh, but it feels like they should. So uh, that was a, a very interesting uh, interview. I, I did have a few questions from Twitter, if you've got a few moments. Uh, yeah, sure. A few extra questions. They're, they're kind of related. Uh, there was one interesting one. You also made a, a bet back in the, the early days of coronavirus uh, that when, uh, when a vaccine came along, you said uh, there would be, let's see, an epidemic of outbreaks of mass hysteria, of mass psychogenic illness. How do you think that that prediction played out? Do, are we seeing well, there, there uh, have been some minor reports of mass uh, of psychogenic illness and anxiety at stations? Nothing right. major, however, was something like that. However, the coronavirus outbreak has triggered an outbreak of mass psychogenic illness and a major global one, and that's the recent one involving psychogenic ticks in young girls. So you've got this outbreak of, of hundreds of cases globally involving young girls and young women who have been watching during the coronavirus pandemic because uh, they're spending more screen time now, watching videos of people with Tourette's or claiming to have Tourette's. And then they suddenly, in their teenage years, uh, in early 20s, are getting explosive Tourette's-like symptoms. Hmm. Well, that's not Tourette's. I mean, these are clearly psychogenic. And there have been several journal articles, one in the British Medical Journal uh, recently, uh, discussing this outbreak of psychogenic tics. And it's been linked to the coronavirus pandemic because of the general uh, background stress with, you know, maybe your grandparents are going to die or something, but also um, being locked down, being online more, and uh, watching these videos. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, so were there things in the past that um, were essentially classified as, as mass hysteria that turned out not to be? Oh, there, there have been uh, conditions in the past that were initially thought to have possibly been psychogenic. But look, the, if you look at the literature on mass psychogenic illness, I mean, we have a, a good understanding of mass psychogenic illness. There's a very good historical literature on it. And there are a number of conditions today that are contentious, um, that are suspected to have a psychogenic element. For example, Gulf War syndrome. For example, uh, fibromyalgia. For example, chronic fatigue syndrome. But again, you, I think you have a, um, a constellation of ailments in there as well. I mean, look at the the epidemic of repetition strain that happened in Australia uh, during the 1980s, and now you yeah, don't have it anymore. I know, that's weird. <laughs> it's, uh... You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of people used to see sea serpents all the time, right? On these ships, there's big pictures and carvings of the sea serpent. Where did all the sea serpent sightings go? Yeah, I used to be worried about getting like uh, RSI because uh, I did a lot of typing as a computer programmer. But uh, it, it seemed to, like you said, it seemed to go away. It's one of those things that was a problem for a while and then, and then not. And I think 
I think you mentioned in the book, like there was um, a problem, not a problem, but a syndrome, a telephone syndrome where people, when they first started using telephones, they would develop headaches. Uh, but after a few years, you know, nobody got them anymore because they weren't so worried about it. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's people are looking for it. And then they, you know, when you look for something, you find it. Exactly. And, and human beings, you know, as you would know, as a member of the skeptical community, Human beings are very fallible creatures. Um, you know, eyewitness perception, as I've mentioned, ear witness perception. The other day, there was a report from one of the foreign embassies. One of the women was saying, I think she was one of the early victims of Havana syndrome. She said, it was like an invisible hand reached out and grabbed her or touched her. Well, that sounds like right out of a paranormal documentary that you see on TV, you know, where they go to these houses and there's a a heat signature in the corner. Well, that must, but that must be proof of a ghost and life after death. Right. Um, And so all this ambiguity and, you know, when you look at things like haunted houses, there's such a will to believe because it's not just that there are ghosts, it's proof of life after death. And there's such a powerful lore to yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think uh, it's an understandable one as well. Like you, you can you can see why people get sucked into these things. And I want to kind of end with one final you know, comment slash question. Uh, in an article I read about you, you described yourself as being a a sympathetic skeptic which uh, I thought was a, a nice description and it, it kind of resonated with me to a degree. And it's that you know, I, I engage with a lot of people who, who believe in weird things and, and you yourself have gone to, you know, the, the Fort conference and things like that. Um, what does it mean to you to be a, a sympathetic skeptic? Well, my brother is a prominent Bigfoot researcher in upstate New York. Um, And we wrote a book called Monsters of the North Woods back in the early 1990s, which is kind of a cult book. It's out of print now. And um, although we've done a second one on sightings in New York and New England. And look, he's the believer. I'm the skeptic. And I worked with him in writing both books. And I think you can work with these people. They just have a different perspective on this. And I, I always say, I say, well, Paul, I say, where's the body? Where's the fossils? Where are the bones? Where's the DNA evidence? And then, of course, the comeback at the dinner table is, well, well, maybe they eat their dead. Well, maybe they do eat their dead. but um, Or, you know, black bears. How many times have you seen a black bear? Yeah, but people do find black bears. Black bears are found dead in the woods. We have fossils of black bears. We have bodies of black bears. On our farm in upstate New York, we've seen two black bears um, in my lifetime. So, um, you know, show me the, show me the dead alien. You know, yeah. show me the, the ray gun that's being used. Um, but there's just no evidence for Havana syndrome for any weapon, microwave, acoustical, or whatever. And um, I think the Jason report, the specialist scientists uh, who came out with their report in 2018, have killed off the microwave theory. Um, and now you're left with people saying, well, uh, pulsed energy, whatever that is, you know, right. and uh, there's just no evidence. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's what it boils down to ultimately. I think is this this lack of evidence and you know all the other factors that uh, kind of indicate that there's a multitude of things going on. You know, the fact that everyone hears different things and have different symptoms essentially, and you know, hopefully the the wheels of science will grind a little bit quicker than they have been grinding because, like you said, lots of people are going to get sucked in otherwise. Well, look, we've got we've got global warming, we've got coronavirus, we've got all kinds of serious issues facing us. And this is a waste of time. It is a giant, wild goose chase. And uh, what is it Shakespeare said, or in the night, imagining some fear, how easy is a bush, supposed a bear. That's what's happening in a nutshell. Right. Well, uh, so if people want to learn more about this, uh, is there, you have a website that people can uh, follow you at? Uh, my website is rebartholomew.com. Okay. And our book is Havana Syndrome with UCLA neurologist Bob Balo, available on Amazon and in okay. audio now. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, do you have a Twitter that people can follow you on? Are you, do you have a Twitter? I don't. On? I try okay. to stay away from social media as much as I can. Well, much less chance of catching some kind of uh, social contagion if you <laughs> stay off it. Yeah. Well, Robert, thank you very much. This has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being uh, here and doing this. Thank you. <laughs>